we've not met, my name is Ruth, and it's great to be here together tonight. Um, right at the start of the new year, I picked up my Bible and I thought um, I'd start reading it from the beginning. Um, oh, thanks. Uh, uh, and I opened it up at Genesis chapter 1 and I read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now I have in fact read more of the Bible since January the 1st, but I've not really moved on from those few verses. They've kind of been playing like a loop in my head. The earth was formless and empty. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light And there was light, just like that. Darkness to light, nothingness to something. The power to change, to bring order out of chaos, to shine light into darkness. And when I I read those words, you know, they are words that I know pretty well. I've probably said them and read them like hundreds, maybe thousands of times over the years. But I felt them like this soccer punch to my gut. Let there be light, and there was light. And what I felt God was talking to me about was those places in my life, in the lives of those around me, in this city, in this world, that feel like they are in chaos and darkness. And I felt God ask me, do you believe that if I said, let there be light, there would, in fact, be light? Or is it possible that a part of me has become so aware of the darkness that I've forgotten about the power of the light? And I felt like God wants to invite me, and I think it's an invitation for all of us to remember the power of the light. And as I was prepping for today, what I sensed was an invitation to kind of recommit our lives to Jesus the call to follow him wholeheartedly, to be totally devoted, to fall in love again, to experience in a new or a different way something of who he is and what it means to follow him. And in the Gospels, in the stories of the early church, we see these moments when light breaks in suddenly, when there is a dramatic healing. Lazarus is raised from the dead, the the blind see, the lame are healed, these kind of suddenly moments when it's like heaven breaks in. And the pain and darkness of this world are pushed back. And today I want us to think about our own answer to that question. Do you believe in all the chaos of your life? Do you believe that if God said, let there be light to the dark places in your life, that there would be light? What does it mean to live this truth in mountains of high, moments of high kind of mountaintop experiences, times of deep valleys and the everyday in between? And if for you, like me at New Year's, the answer maybe isn't a straightforward yes, maybe there's an invitation for all of us in different ways to repent of where we've taken our eyes off Jesus, where we've gone distracted by the opposition, where doubt or disappointment have crept in and taken the focus for us to realign ourselves and to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us once again with faith. One of my favourite theologians, Karl Barth, talks about um, darkness and light and, and in the t- context of creation. And he talks about this idea that when, when God created, when God said, let there be light, it was like a ripple effect. This moment of light pushed back 
darkness and evil exists on the margins of God's creation. We kind of experience the skirmishes of it. But every time we pray, let your light shine, come Holy Spirit. Every time there is a moment of healing or encounter or salvation or worship, the frontier of darkness is pushed further back and we stand in the power of the light. And we're not the ones doing the pushing back. We are just asked to pray, come Holy Spirit. God does the work. We just get to bask in the power of his light. And so I think the message for us tonight is really simple. It's really just four words. Let there be light. And I think God wants to ask us, to invite us to to believe that those four words really can change everything. So we're going to look at what it means to believe this, especially what it means to believe this in the midst of darkness, how to stay devoted to Jesus, keep our eyes fixed on him. And we're going to do it through a story in Matthew's gospel. It's Matthew uh, chapter 14. It's probably a story many of you know will know quite well. It's the story of Jesus walking on water and calling Peter out of the boat to also walk on water. And we pick up the story immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples have just witnessed this remarkable miracle when Jesus took these few loaves and fishes and he made them into enough bread um, to feed thousands of people and have 12 baskets of leftovers. And immediately after this miracle had happened, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Jesus tells the disciples to set off across, to cross the lake. Remember, that can come off, maybe. Um, thanks. <laughs> I got distracted by that. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples to set, to set off across the lake. And remember, this is a lake that they know really well. Some of them have grown up fishing on it. Jesus um, sends home this crowd. He decides he wants to go off by himself for a few hours of introvert time, totally feeling Jesus in that moment. And Jesus goes off to spend a few hours on the mountainside. And he could have left the disciples just to make their way over to the other side. They grew up sailing and fishing on this lake. They know how to navigate it. Jesus could have hunkered down on the mountainside and let them fight the storm alone. But he didn't. In the midst of the storm, during the darkest part of the night, the boat being buffeted by the wind and the waves, Jesus walks out to them. Those verses from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Even in that moment, before the creation of the heavens and the earth, when there was darkness, emptiness, even in that place, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The psalmist writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. What an amazing promise. That darkness is as light to you. Even in the darkness, it will be as light to you. 
But one thing to note about the story is that Jesus didn't come straight away. Matthew writes that this took place during the fourth watch of the night. This means it is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the, in the morning. Note that the disciples set off the previous day, the end of the afternoon. So they have been in the boat battling these winds, battling these waves for hours, most of the night. And yet Jesus did come. And there's a call for us to trust that even when we feel like we have battled all night, that the storm has been raging, to still trust in the faithfulness of God, to still believe that Jesus will come to us, even if it might be later than we might have chosen. A few years ago, I did some work with um, the International Justice Mission, and uh, I was, they, they do various bits of work um, with human slavery, uh, um, human sex trafficking, kind of all sorts of horrific things that happen around the world. And one of the pieces of work they do is they work on active rescues. And I was chatting with somebody who'd been involved in a rescue in Southeast Asia. And they'd heard about this brothel that they knew had underage um, girls uh, kept in this brothel, and they had organized this rescue. And they'd gone into this brothel and they'd found this young girl kept in, in essentially a cupboard in, again, under the stairs. And she'd lived in this cupboard for years. And what she had scrawled, um, some words on the side of her room. And the words were from the end of Psalm 27. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This girl had waited through a lot of storms. But she saw the goodness of the Lord that night and she held on to the goodness of the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, I might not understand her story fully. We might not have lived the same life. But I suspect many of us in this room know what it is to experience life as if we are trapped in a pit. To be caught up in anxiety or fear or disappointment. Maybe living with chronic pain, trapped in physical and mental, emotional diagnosis that make life feel like we are living in a dark pit. Or caught on the treadmill of success and power, needing to look better, work harder, prove ourselves to be good enough, whilst living with shame, sin and addictions. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. The truth, and it's the truth and not necessarily our experience. The truth is that Jesus has come to us. He comes in the storm, with us in the darkness. And not just with us, but actively comes to join us in the midst of the darkness, hovering over the waters, with us in the tomb, standing firm against the wind and the waves. And so we have hope. So we experience his goodness, his love, his faithfulness through his presence with us. Let there be light and there was light. So a bit of a, um, a confession moment for you. I, um, and this will come as no surprise to those who, who know me quite well, but um, I tend towards the cynical. 
if there is a cynical bench in the room, you'll probably find me parked on it. And I like to think it's just natural intellectual curiosity that causes me to critique and question. And, and sometimes it's true, it is, it is that. Sometimes it's fear, it's my own disappointment, and sometimes it is just plain cynicism. But the thing is, and trust me on this one, cynicism is not the most fun place to set up camp. It might seem like fun in the moment. It might feel safe. There can be no chance that you'll be made a fool of if you're the one sat in the corner being cynical. But it is also the place where you are most likely to miss out on what God is doing. Why was Peter the only disciple that leapt out of the boat? They were all there. They'd all seen the miracle um, of the feeding of the 5,000. They'd all been watching Jesus preach and heal for the same number of years. And in this moment, they were all, Peter, all of them, they were all afraid. They all saw Jesus walking on waters towards him, towards them. They all heard him say, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. But only Peter gets out of the boat. And maybe Peter is just a bit stupid and we do see him all over the gospels being reckless he puts his foot in it he says the wrong things he's he's impulsive but maybe it is more than that maybe Peter knows something that the other disciples haven't yet cottoned on to and just like a few two chapters later so just a short time later there's a conversation that Jesus is having with all of his disciples and they're discussing what other people are saying about Jesus and Jesus says to his disciples and what about you guys Who do you say I am? And it's Peter who answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter had got something of who Jesus was. From that first moment on the shores of Lake Galilee, when Jesus said to Peter and his brother, come, follow me, Peter had thrown himself in. There's a call, an invitation to be a people who respond quickly and with conviction, not people who sit on the sidelines and critique. You know, sometimes it is because of fear or pain or wounding from past hurts, grief, anger, whatever. In which case, let's bring that before God. Let's ask for freedom and forgiveness for his healing. But then let's be Peter's, jumping in with two feet. Yeah, getting it wrong sometimes, sometimes looking a bit stupid, but also being willing to take the risk, being the ones who get to walk on water. I want to be that person, but so often I am so caught up in my own life, looking down at myself, caught up in fear, fear of looking stupid, preoccupied with myself, that I forget that if I want to walk on water, I've got to get out of the boat. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And I want to look just for a moment at what Jesus says to Peter when he says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Um, there's a little slide here. This is what in the Greek, in the Matthew's Gospel, it was originally written in Greek. And this is what these words look like in the Greek. They should come up. Um, Yeah, that's it. And it it translates as ego imi. And it means I am. Which might be a little phrase that you recognize. And the common time, at the time of Jesus, the common translation of the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament was a Greek translation known as the Septuagint. So the Septuagint was the Old Testament scriptures in Greek. And that was the Bible that Peter would have read, that Jesus would have read. So 
when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, we have Exodus chapter 3, when Moses and God are having a chat at the burning bush, and Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And God answers, I am who I am. And in the Septuagint, it looks like this. Ergo imi. I am who I am. It is I. So when Peter hears Jesus say, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid, he doesn't hear a friend calling out, yoo just me. What he hears is the voice of Yahweh speaking through a burning bush to Moses, declaring, I am who I am. And it was this awareness of who Jesus is that gave Peter the courage to put down his fear, to relinquish control, to give up his own self-protection, to risk looking foolish, to risk drowning and to get out of the boat while everyone else stayed carrying in the corner. To have that kind of faith, that kind of boldness, but it is available to each of us. To have an encounter where we hear those words and we don't just hear someone saying, hey, it's me. What we hear is the voice of Yahweh speaking. To know I am who I am, the creator God, the one who calms the storm, who raises the dead, is standing in front of us saying, it's me, give me your hand, it's me. And the thing is, even Peter, with his profound awareness of who Jesus is, even Peter, climbing out of the boat, he has a little wobble. He takes his eyes off Jesus, he looks at the storm, he sees the wind and the waves and he panics and he goes, oh crap, I'm going to die. And he starts to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reaches out his hand and catches hold of him and says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And even in this little snapshot of time, we have the roller coaster of the Christian life. You have the mountaintop experience, feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves. And we have the valley of the fear of the storm. We're in a boat. The waves are high. The wind is bad. We have a ghost walking towards us. And then we have this mountaintop, Peter climbing out of the boat, walking on water. And then we have the valley of the waves and the wind again as Peter sings. And it's just, isn't that just what life is like? We go from these mountaintops to these valleys and everything in between. But in all of these moments, Jesus is there. Jesus is present. Jesus is faithfully with us. It's not that the other disciples didn't recognize who, who he was. They knew this was Jesus of Nazareth, the guy they've been hanging out with all this time. But they just didn't know what that meant. They didn't know that saying this is Jesus of Nazareth also meant saying this is the Son of God. This is Yahweh. This is I am who I am. And then Jesus gets into the boat. And as Jesus gets into the boat, the winds stop, the waves cease, everything becomes calm. And everyone in the boat worships him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. We all need an encounter with Jesus, a moment of revelation. And in fact, we need it over and over and over again. When it's like we see afresh, we see again, like sometimes for the first time or just in a new way, the truth of who Jesus is. And we understand in a different way what what the power of his name, what it means to say the light is shining in the darkness. Sometimes we can know all about God. We can know who Jesus is. I mean, yet we still need to have that moment when he gets into the boat, he calms the, the waves and the wind and we say, truly, truly, you are the son of God. And this is where I want us to spend some time in prayer um, this evening, this invitation for, to an encounter. 
this invitation to know afresh who Jesus is. This, it, this opportunity, this moment to know him walk towards us in the middle of the storm. And as he comes towards us, as he brings his faithful presence with us, with him, he gives us hope and peace in the midst of the storm.